0: Alright, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corin Novotny, joined by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. This
1: episode is our Super Bowl 53 special. We will be talking exclusively about the big game as we break down the Patriots' 13-3 win over the Rams and the lasting legacies of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England dynasty.
2: In addition to all the football talk, We'll give our take on the Maroon 5 and Travis Scott Halftime Show and count down our favorite commercials from Sunday night in today's Top 5. He's done it!
0: Alright, so this is our Super Bowl 53 special, as we normally do when we have special episodes, we have a special intro, and as much as it pained me to create that, I went ahead and got that content for you guys. Um, so before we get, get too far into um, breaking down what happened on Sunday night, I do want to say that um, I have I have a little bit of a cold, I'm not sure if you can tell in my voice, but i uh, Feeling a little under the weather today, and I could have easily said, hey, Ben and Brian, I'm not feeling great. I really don't want to talk about the Patriots winning the Super Bowl, um, but that's not fair to our listeners. because Corey,
1: it's called he's done it, not he sat out, okay?
0: Yes, <laughs> and you know what? We have, we have our fair share of Patriots fans because Brian and I are both from New England. We have a lot of friends from up there. But we also have people who are like me and were rooting for the Rams and didn't want to see the Patriots win another Super Bowl. So I knew that I couldn't just let you two talk about how great the Patriots are for an hour and isolate half of our fans because nobody wants to hear that. So I'm taking one for the team. I'm representing the lower 44 states of the country today. And I'm hoping that we can all look back on this as my Michael Jordan flu game. But uh, I will also be kind of, you know, I've had my time for, for reflection, and I'm at peace with what happened. So I will be able to come with this from an unbiased perspective. Um, so without further ado, Brian, congratulations. Your Patriots won their sixth Super Bowl in your young lifetime. So how about you start us off with your opening thoughts?
2: Yeah, so um, it definitely felt great that, as a Patriots fan, they were able to win their sixth Super Bowl in the Brady Belichick era. And I think this Super Bowl in particular was more about the fact that uh, Bill Belichick was able to earn the trust back from the fans and the players from every- after everything that happened in uh, last year's Super Bowl after he benched Malcolm Butler uh and they gave up forty one points to Nick Foles and Malcolm Butler left New England uh in free agency to go to Tennessee. And to be honest, uh I don't wanna say that the Patriots had no chance of winning this year, but I really thought their chances of winning a ser not only making one, but even winning one, uh, were much, much worse than other years after you know, everything that happened in the offseason uh, with Brady missing OTAs and uh, Julian Edelman coming off an ACL injury and being suspended suspended for the first four games. And, you know, Amon Dull leaving as well and calling out uh, Bill Belichick and the way he run, runs things in the Mike Reese interview. And, you know, Hightower looked really slow to start the year and um, Gronk also was again washed for m- pretty much the entire year, and their wide receiver wide receiver core was uh, really limited to the p- to the point where they had to get Josh Gordon out of all people um, from from Cleveland, and um, and not only that, but they also lost Isaiah Wynn, their first round pick. Well, they had two first round picks. One was Sony Michel, who did was terrific in the postseason, six touchdowns. Uh, but yeah, they also lost Isaiah Wynn to a torn Achilles in the preseason, and so, and not only that, but they also went 11 and five during the regular season, and which was the first time that they even had five losses um, in probably nine or ten years. And they all came on the road against mostly bad teams, other than Pittsburgh. So, um, so they really didn't look good in the regular season, and. They really didn't look, they really weren't battle tested throughout the year. I mean, they did play KC uh, in a close game at home and they beat Minnesota or limited them limited them to 10 points, but they, they still had some really bad losses on their resume throughout the regular season. So I uh, really did not like their chances entering uh, the postseason, but I'm obviously glad that I was wrong and they came out on top once again. My
1: only regret is I didn't pick them to win it going into the postseason because, of course, they won after looking inept all year. It's Brady and Belichick, dude. The, the definition of, like, defying the odds and uh, winning when people say they can't. Also winning when people say they definitely can. But this was... Uh, Brady definitely came through on the whole like people don't think we can win it and then they won the whole thing his Instagram posts are so cheeky dude I'm really glad I don't hate Tom Brady because if I if I did those would be really difficult to watch because he is an absolute savage on those uh, like he just like gives it the soft smile him and Gronk
0: they're like oh did we win a Super Bowl was that us (laughs) Yeah, this was one of the more masterful, not just uh, Super Bowl performances, but postseason runs um, of Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the this Patriots team in yes. recent years. Yes, because in the past, every time they've won it, they've been the you know number one seed. They I think they had one year where they were the two seed, but they were always they would beat a bad team in the divisional round. They would. Uh, hold off a team that they're better than, um, albeit slightly, at home in the AFC Championship, and then from there it's just a matter of do they beat the NFC team in the Super Bowl? Uh, but this year, they—I <sighs> was counting them out. Uh, I think that this one stings a little differently for me as someone who was rooting against them uh, than some of the the past few Super Bowl victories, just because while the other ones. Uh, it was a case of the team they they beat snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. This was one where the Patriots totally outplayed all three teams that they they met in the postseason, um, destroying the Los Angeles Chargers at home, going into Kansas City, and while it went to overtime, that was a game where the Patriots were in control most of the way, uh, and fourth quarter, Patrick Mahomes stepped up and did what he had done all season long, but it was it was too little, too late um before Brady let him down in overtime. And I know that he didn't play great in the Super Bowl, but you can't uh take away what he did in the two games to get them there. And that that defensive performance is arguably the greatest Super Bowl defensive performance ever. Because you held a a Rams team that scored thirty-two points per game in the regular season to three points, none in the first half. How does that even happen? Uh so a this all-around great performance, that is something that I I can acknowledge.
2: I feel like in the Super Bowl, um, it was a competitive game, but I never thought that the Rams were really going to make uh, a move in that fourth quarter. I mean, there was that one play where Brandon Cooks almost had the touchdown, but Jason McCourty uh, ended up stripping the ball at the last second for uh, – Leading it to an incomplete pass, and and then middle of the fourth quarter, Brady leads them the Patriots on a drive, and then Sony Michelle gets that one yard touchdown, and then uh, and then Jared Goff was a disaster uh, on that on that next drive, throwing that awful pass right to Gilmore's hands uh, to pretty much pretty much seal the deal.
1: Yeah, this was vintage Goff here. Um, this looks like Jeff Fisher, Jeff Goff, uh, Jeff, Jared Goff, might as well be Jeff Goff because he was a different guy than we've seen all year. And, uh, it was for me as a Niners fan. This was really refreshing because the Rams looked super unbeatable, and the, I'm sure the narrative had this been a shootout, had the Rams won this game, would be: Are the Rams the next dynasty? You know, they dethroned the Patriots. They've got a young quarterback, a young running back, a young head coach. Could this be the next you know uh, Patriots in the in LA? But I'm re- first off, I'm really glad that didn't happen. Um, But it also was just so uncharacteristic of them. I I agree with you, Corey, that this is the Patriots defense is to be applauded uh, for slowing down this amazing offense. Although it did also just seem like this offense just didn't show up. Like the fact that Todd Gurley barely got in the game uh, really surprised me.
0: Well, Gurley, we knew coming in had some of that injury concern as much as Sean McVay said he was 100 percent going into the Super Bowl it seemed like that wasn't the case because, like you said, he never he wasn't really touching the ball. They were using Cedric Anderson throughout the playoffs, and they they continued to do that in the Super Bowl. Uh, and it's it's just like the Rams' defense. Yeah, they gave up 13 points, but if you told anyone going into the game that the Rams would only allow 13 points, everyone would think that they would win in a blowout. And at Weed Phillips came in, and that was something that I know that we, we touched upon last episode, that he knew he knows how to stop the Patriots. Uh, that is something that he, he was able to do when he was a defensive coordinator in Denver, and that was something that he was able to do in L.A. They did give up that one fourth quarter scoring drive, but when you hold that team, a little bit of bend bendo break, but even then, like they didn't run a red zone play until the fourth quarter. They they came up and made that big interception, and they, they forced a midfield goal. They were forcing a lot of Ryan Allen punts. That Rams defense was phenomenal. But yeah. as you said, Jared Goff just <laughs> looking like that Goff that couldn't win a game his rookie year. And I know that he and uh, the rest of that offense is going to look back and regret this one for a long time.
2: I feel like the Rams really never made adjustments entering the second half, and I think it's also pretty obvious that Belichick uh, beat McVeigh in the the coaching matchup. And for anyone who hasn't seen the video of the two of them talking uh, in pregame before the start of the Super Bowl, like McVeigh came up to Belichick and was like, "Oh man, you're you're so awesome! Like you're the best!" And then Belichick's like, "Yeah, that's great. Yep, yeah, thanks, appreciate <laughs> it. You know, good luck." And you could just tell that hearing and hearing that, uh, you know, pregame, uh, you know, thing with between the two of them, you could tell that McVeigh was just totally, uh, totally nervous about the game. And Belichick was just treating it like it was just another game. And, um, you know, Belichick has talked about with his players, uh, and one of his favorite books, uh, the art of war, he has a sign in, uh, around, uh, Gillette stadium or in the locker rooms that says, uh, uh, every battle is won before it is fought and i feel like in that game even though it was three to three entering the fourth quarter i i feel like uh the patriots you know had them right where they wanted them the entire time
1: yeah i think the art of war is sun Tzu, right is that yeah, great that's great correct. reference yeah, there yeah i like that um yeah i mean just just on paper um, you would think that the coaching legend Bill Belichick would be able to handle how old is Sean McDay? He, he's
2: nineteen, I he's, think. I think
0: he <laughs> <laughs> just turned thirty three last ac- ac- year.
2: According to Guillermo on Jimmy Kimmel, yeah, he's under twenty one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's
1: uh I mean that that definitely that had like the Patriots definitely had experience on their side, although you wouldn't know it looking at Sean McVay that he's so young, uh, looking at what he's done this season. He had a couple of questionable things uh, throughout the regular season, but for the most part, he's been his team is dominant. Uh, so, I mean, what that leads me to is um, the expectations for this game versus what we got. I think a lot of people expected this to be a massive shootout and to be a, a really entertaining Super Bowl. I put air quotes around that because that's um, it's an opinion whether you think it was entertaining or not. What did you guys think of this game? Did you think it was boring or did you think it was a good Super Bowl?
2: Well, I think it was uh, one of the lowest rated Super Bowls in probably, I think, 10 or 15 years. And yeah, they said the I lowest, lowest part,
0: rated since 2007.
2: Yeah, and I think yes, part of it was because it was a little bit boring. Even Jim Nance brought that up while broadcasting the game and I also think it's just because people are tired of the Patriots, and I also think it's because the Rams were in the Super Bowl and not the Saints. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even though L.A. is a bigger market, I, I feel like the game would have been a little bit more popular if the Saints were to and with the Bree, Breeze matchup. Okay, a couple of well, things. New Orleans yeah, cu- was
0: actually boycotting. Yes, the, the that, rating, that's part of it. New Orleans, 26% after like 53% last year. yeah, oh, so so. they basically
1: halved it, yeah, which is which is – A level of petty that I aspire to. So, like, my (laughs) hat is off to the people of New Orleans for not watching the Super Bowl. But also, L.A. is still not like the home of the rams yet in my opinion they still have i I think one of the weaker fan bases in the nfl just based on a the apathy of la sports fans uh maybe that's a little bit too mean for i don't really know the la sports fan base but they seem to be somewhat apathetic despite the fact that they have so many teams uh and b they're still kind of new there you know they're they just came back so um that probably had something to do with it. I think also the Patriots being in another Super Bowl is probably a big reason. Um, but getting back to whether or not this game was entertaining, um, low scoring game, not a lot of action, not even a touchdown until the fourth quarter. Uh, I think that it, for a game to be entertaining, you have to look at you have to look at it from a uh, a holistic perspective like you have to look at the game in its entirety and decide uh, if it was a good game or not and I any game for me that first off it's a Super Bowl I'm a big football fan it's gonna be entertaining when everything is on the line on every play okay even though they're not scoring every play you're like oh man like if they don't score here you know that like every play matters and then late in the game it was a close game that's way more entertaining than watching someone who's who ended the game in the first half by blowing them out so yeah, I, I'll take a
2: uh, I'll take the low low scoring game over the uh you know like Seahawks Broncos blowout where it's twenty nine nothing but you know at the end of the first half where the game is yeah. already settled
0: right yeah, I was I was gonna say that I think in terms of um, NFL fans today they they want to see points uh, that is definitely something that we're becoming a lot more used to but I can always appreciate a good defensive battle that's something that I I was used to growing up watching the Steelers and the Ravens play. Every year, uh, but I no, do think, I mean, in terms of on the big stage in the Super Bowl, you would you would like to see teams score more than a uh, sixteen combined points. Like we we're talking no, about the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever.
2: No, yeah, I am totally with you. Like, I am um, not a huge fan of the you know thirteen to three game either, but I don't need the 54-51 no. Rams Chiefs game either. Like, uh, Super Bowl for forty nine went. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, th- th- for me, a low scoring Super Bowl gives me faith.
1: In the like future of the NFL, because this season, for the first time ever, I was like, "Wow, the rule changes really are changing the game." We saw score totals like you wouldn't believe. Like average teams are now putting up points that you know ten years ago would have been seen as like a playoff contender kind of uh, output for points. You know, we've got people breaking records. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey both broke the tight end record this year for receiving yards. Both of them. You know, and we've had some legendary tight ends in the past, and that's not to belittle their accomplishment. uh, But there's all these offensive records that are being broken uh, because the league is leaning towards higher scoring points, right? But I don't want defense to stop being a part of the game. So when you have two of the best offenses in the league going going at it in the most important game of the season, it uh, restores a little bit of faith for me in uh, the balance of the NFL rule book to see it be possible for those two teams to only score 16 total points. There's an, a level of unpredictability that I'd like to have in my football games, especially the Super Bowl.
2: I definitely agree that um, there should be a good balance of both offense, good offense and good defense. And I think people, I think everyone was surprised that there was only 16 points scored in the game when you have two of probably the best coaches, arguably the best coaches in the league, especially McVeigh has a great offensive, great offensive mind he is.
1: Well, yeah, all phases of the game, people, special teams played a big part in this game. And I mainly am talking about the punting. Um, I, I was going to say Ryan <laughs> Allen.
2: He was probably the, if it wasn't Julian Edelman for MVP, I would pick the punter. I, Ryan yes. Allen had some great punts in that game.
1: So did John, Johnny Hecker. Johnny yeah. Hecker broke. I think the, he broke the
2: record, sixty-five record. yard in the sixty-five yard punt in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and hey, he, let's
1: not leave out Matthew Slater, who had a couple of good. Uh, you know, he went and collected the ball. That was pretty good. So,
2: <laughs> unfortunately, there's no special team Hall of Fame because he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. It's
1: um it, honestly, it's it's I don't know. It's one of those like real, like, football nerd kind of games where you're like, oh, dude, like, Johnny Hecker is actually... That actually was me at the Super Bowl party I was at. I was like, Johnny Hecker's actually a really good punter. Like, he's probably the best punter in the league for my money. Like, well, And, like, after saying that, <laughs> having him break the record, I was like,
2: see, I told you guys, like, he's a really good punter, you know? <laughs> he's not only a good punter, but he can play quarterback a little bit too.
0: Yeah, that's true. I guess along those lines. So the Rams punted nine times. And yeah, like you said, Johnny Hecker is a great punter, but they have been known for years as being a team who can, uh, they'll try these fake punt plays. And it just, it blows my mind. I know that they were a lot of times facing like fourth and seven and longer. They didn't have a ton of fourth and twos, but it. I just don't understand how you can consistently just punt the ball off when you, when you're in the Super Bowl, you're on the biggest stage, your offense needs a spark and they don't even try a single trick play on those punts, and I get that a lot of times they were backed up, and if they didn't get it, they would have really put themselves in a bad position, but I it just, I don't know. I, I feel like Sean McVay was, he, he was Maybe they just afraid. ran
2: the, pun- the fake punts too many times to the point where everyone just expects it. Everyone,
0: yeah, sure, maybe. The um, commentators I, certainly did. There's a couple
1: of times where they're like, oh, it might be a fake, because they had one that was, like, questionable. I'm trying to remember when it was, but it was, like, will they fake it here or not? And I think they ended up taking a delay a game and then punting it. I'm trying to remember. But either way, I, I don't know if you could take your hottest player out of the game when he, when Johnny Hecker was making these amazing punts. You know, <laughs> go with what's working.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I guess, so to, to move on from the recap. So at this point, the legacies for Tom Brady, Bill Belichick of more or less been cemented when they got their fifth Super Bowl title together the sixth to me that that's the the icing on the cake the final nail in the coffin if it wasn't already there um, they're the the greatest to do it and when I when I say that I think Bill Belichick is he's the greatest and the best now Tom Brady has never been the most most like all-around talent but when you talk about what he's able to accomplish in the postseason with that that clutch factor that he has uh, being able to take what the defense gives him and produce Uh, even at the age of 41 years old and there's no no signs to say that he's me slowing down uh, I don't know how you can argue that he's not the greatest quarterback of all time
2: so yeah I think that Brady has already solidified uh, himself as the you know, the GOAT greatest quarterback of all time, um, you know, probably two or three years ago. Um, but, and I've always been on the Brady side when it comes to Brady versus Belichick debate in terms of like, who's the one that has mattered more to the franchise, especially after the loss last year to the Eagles. But I think in this game, Belichick definitely uh, moved up in term in that debate on who's the one who's made the bigger impact. And I just think it's just really scary for the league if for the Patriots to have all the issues that they had in the off season and the regular season, and they they still came out uh, the ones on top. So I don't. So I'm not sure if there's anyone that could stop them if Belichick's going to coach the way um, he has throughout the season, and um, and if Brady can, you know, you know, not fall off a quote unquote fall off a cliff like Max Kellerman has said numerous times.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so tough. Um, At one point, I was kind of hoping that we would see both of them in the league, but not on the same team, Belichick and Brady. You know, there were times where it's like back when Jimmy Garoppolo was still on the Patriots, people were like, oh, moving on from Brady, you know, Brady to the Browns confirmed kind of thing. But um, I don't think we're ever going to get that. So unless Bill Belichick continues to coach once Brady retires, uh, it'll be really hard to define what the true secret to this dynasty has been. I I don't think that anyone's going to question that they're both great though. Um, I, and I think at this point they've probably both cemented their status as the greatest to ever do it at their jobs. Um, Brady, I mean, he's really, like you said, he was already the goat two years ago, two, three years ago. I mean, three seasons ago. And, uh, Belichick, six Lombardies, like, that's insane. So I, uh, I mean, at this point, because there was a time where I was a Patriots hater, at least like in the postseason, because I didn't want them to pass the 49ers in like greatness. Um, at first off, now they have an extra Super Bowl, more than them. But what really mattered to me more was the Joe Montana comparison, because Joe Montana, four Super Bowls undefeated in the Super Bowl which is something he has on Brady has on Brady I would say because n- n- losing the Super Bowl means you made it to the Super Bowl Joe Montana just lost more play like he lost more leading up to it right so it's not I don't think it's really something to brag about um Joe Montana is still an amazing quarterback but I think you have to give the goat to Brady uh with two extra rings on him so uh I'm just at this point I'm just happy to witness greatness
0: yeah, so I I know that you can kind of look back, and I, I've always done this. You can look back at some of their wins, like the over Seattle if Marshawn Lynch was handed the ball and Atlanta blowing a 25-point lead like that and their offense just not being able to do anything um, in the, the fourth quarter of that game when they needed to just kick a field goal to win it. Um, even going back, you had uh, – the Rams, the, the greatest show on turf, only coming out, scoring 17 points. And uh, in Carolina, you had uh, some clock management, a kickoff go out of bounds that basically was the reason why Vinatieri's kick sent, uh, gave them a win instead of sending it to overtime. But at the same time, the the Patriots are a crazy David Tyree catch and a, an improbable Wes Walker drop. Away from two more Super Bowl wins and the Eagles last year there there's a lot of things you can point to with like the whole Malcolm Butley situation uh, a couple of controversial touchdowns so I think that the way you look at it you he can be six and three with how, just as close to to 10 and zero as he is to oh and, and eight, and eight oh and nine um so I, I based on that, I don't think that you can kind of knock some of his wins just knowing how close he was to have even more than that. Now, I have always hated both Brady and Belichick pretty equally, but I think in recent years, I've been a little more pro-Belichick is the, the, the big guy, um, just because I know like Patriots fans, like Brian said, they, they all love Brady. Uh, and I don't want to use that six-letter word that triggers Patriots fans to describe Brady because I can't imagine that the Patriots would have won six Super Bowls with Drew Bledsoe, Matt Castle, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever you want to throw in there during that time. Uh, but I, I do think that these are two guys that really need to be together. Uh, and I think that they wouldn't be where they are without each other. And we came close to having them break up last off season, but they decided to stick around and they went on to win a Super Bowl. And I just I don't see the two of them in a situation where the, the parting is not retirement and uh, just a send off. Versus a a bad breakup, like it looked like was possible. Yep.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's no, there's really not much else to add. You said everything. All
0: right. uh, So we did kind of touch on this. So Julian Edelman won Super Bowl MVP. What are your guys thoughts on him winning MVP?
2: He deserved the MVP. Like there was no other, literally no other offensive player in the entire game that, deserted. I like I guess second would be Sony Michelle but um after Edelman you just pick someone on defense I feel like probably Stefan Gilmore or Kyle Van Noy or just you know someone on defense cuz it was again it was a 13 to 3 game so and and, Edelman was the only one who provided a- any sort of offense whatsoever. Maybe Brandon Cooks a little bit late in that game late in the game but well, I mean, uh, he was a losing team.
1: <laughs> well right. I think this is the definition of a team win. I think that the Patriots had to do well in all phases of the game to squeak this one out. And I think giving the MVP to anybody uh, elevates their contribution to this win to a higher status than I think it deserves. Like I don't think anybody necessarily was the MVP of this game. Uh, that being said, Julian Edelman did more than pull his own weight. And um, it's nice to see him get the MVP. He's a, a guy who's done a lot for the Patriots, uh, especially in the postseason. So it... I don't know. I, I personally, I think it should have been Stefan Gilmore because I'm a Gamecocks stan, and I uh, think that that pick was really the thing that sealed it uh, because it looked like the Rams were kind of rolling at that point. If the Rams get into the end zone there, who knows where this game would have gone. And uh, But it does make sense to give the guy who caught the ball 10 times. He was very much a uh, important part of the motor that was running this team.
0: So I know that Edelman was half of the Patriots' offense, but they only scored 13 points. I don't I don't understand how you don't give it to a guy on the defensive side of the ball outside of saying this is just an all-around team effort, like you said. Uh, I do think Stephon Gilmore was probably more deserving. Um, and then Dante Hightower Dante had a Hightower, couple sacks. Yeah. He could have gotten it. Jason McCourty had that big breakup. I think there were a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball that I would have rather given it to. And it was like Edelman, yeah, he had 10 catches for on 141 yards, but he didn't even score the touchdown. Shirley Michelle did. So, I don't know. It, it feels like a weird MVP to me. Uh, I would, I, think, I would personally give it to Gilmore as well. But I think
2: the last three Patriots Super Bowl wins, I could make a case for someone else instead of the the actual winner. In Super Bowl forty nine, I, I think if you know, if I had a choice, I think I would have picked Edelman um, being amazing on that last drive and catching the game winning touchdown. And then in Super Bowl fifty one, I definitely think it should have gone to James White catching fourteen passes. Three touchdowns, a two point conversion, over hundred receiving yards, and like he was basically the entire offense in that comeback, along with along with some clutch catches from Edelman and Amendola and Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell and so on. Uh, but uh, and then in this game, yeah, like I think it should have gone to. I mean, I probably would pick Edelman still, but you could totally make a case for someone on the defensive side of ball when there's only sixteen points scored in the game.
0: Yeah, and that's a big part. It feels weird that the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever had an offensive MVP. That's,
1: yeah, but at the same time, it's hard to just pinpoint one guy on defense who did it all. Like you ever see, I mean, obviously you've seen it where uh, the defense gets a turnover and then they run into the end zone and take a group photo. That's because yeah, every def- single
0: time there's a turnover this season. They have yeah. overdone it.
1: <laughs> they have overdone it. But it's because the guy who got the turnover knows he didn't earn it himself. It's a team effort. Your defense has to be a unit uh, in a way that is different from your offense. Like your offense can be like good all the way, like all the way across, but you can also have a really good quarterback, a good O line and a dominant wide receiver and, take it down the field with just those guys and the tight end and the other wide receivers can contribute a little bit less. Uh, and so it's easier to point out the guys that are more valuable when it's a defensive effort like this. And there's not a guy who's racking up five sacks or a guy who has multiple interceptions and multiple pass breakups or, you know, a pick six, uh, it's harder to pick them out. So I, I, I just stand by my original statement that none of these guys deserve the MVP as a true team win. Give the MVP to just like the defense as a unit.
2: They have given it to past uh, pl- players on defense before. I, you know, Von Miller won it a few years ago with Denver, and Malcolm Smith won it with Seattle with um, all the tackles he had and the pick six. And then uh, I think Ray Lewis won his first the Super Bowl MVP when they won the, f- the yeah. first I, Super Bowl no, with the Ravens, not the second oh, one. Oh, two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Dexter Jackson was in two thousand two, and I was just about to say that one too. Dexter Jackson. With the Bucks as well. So, I mean, Yeah, there been have been whole defensive, lot of players defensive players that have won. Well,
1: it helps if you score a touchdown on defense. That's like a really good way to be yeah. like, look, I individually did a lot for this defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think what we're getting to is does this uh, make Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? Which I think is a, uh interesting question.
2: Should, do you want me to start, Corey?
0: <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead, Brian. I'll, okay. I'll give you a chance.
2: So, I would say no, but do I think he deserves consideration? Yes. Um, and, you know, thinking about this question on whether he's a Hall of Famer or not, the best argument I could come up with was uh, Wes Welker's production. And yeah, I'm sure you guys know who Wes Welker is, but for anyone who does, and the listeners who don't know who he is, uh, he was a longtime slot receiver uh, before Julian Edelman with the Patriots. Uh, and he's probably the all-time leading uh, receiver for uh, in terms of Tom Brady's targets, uh, and he was a multiple Pro Bowler, multiple All Pros, and I don't think Edelman is. I think he's only had one year where he's had more than a hundred uh, receptions, and so, so in the in terms of the regular season, Wes Welker has uh, definitely been the better player. But of course, in the postseason, which matters so much more, Edelman is the one who's come through um, with. The Super Bowl MVP just recently, and you know, Wes Welker being known for the guy who dropped potentially the game ceiling uh, catch in Super Bowl forty-six versus the Giants, and so, so he has. So yeah, Edelman has the postseason success, but I think for someone to be a Hall of Famer, you need to have the full body of work. So I think that he needs to play at least, I would say, a couple more seasons before we can really you know, know for sure that he's a hall of famer or not.
0: Yeah. All of Edelman's accolades are in the playoffs. Uh, The super bowl MVP now is a, the final touch to that. Um, he's second all time in postseason catches only to Jerry Rice, but in the regular season, no, no pro bowls, no, no all pro selections. Mm -hmm. He was, I think he's 148th in catches, 248th in yards, he he doesn't have that full body of work, like you said, and he does have that PAD suspension. I knew you gonna.
2: I was just about to bring that up. I knew you were yeah. gonna bring that up. I, I does, just, it, I just
0: that's gonna hold him back. We
2: talked about this last time when it comes to you know the MLB, you know guys like Bonds and Clemens getting the Hall of Fame, and they sh- again should and. When it comes to NFL, I don't care who's on steroids, man. I don't I don't care like literally any player, it doesn't matter who it is. Like football is such a you know, rough sport that if if you need to take steroids to remain on the field, I, I get it. I, I don't I don't talk down any NFL player that you know, take steroids and eat, or whether they get caught or not. Like they should all be on it. <laughs> that's just my opinion. Yeah, so I, I
0: I do think that's fair. Um I'm very vocal about Bonds and Clemens getting into the baseball hall of fame. Um and Edelman, he was just using it to to recover from a torn ACL. Um mm-hmm. there's no suggestion that he's been on it throughout I, his I, career. I, but... I hated
2: I hated reading that article like yesterday from US or yesterday or today from USA Today. Saying that, oh Edelman didn't deserve to play in this game. Like what a load of! (laughs) I'm not gonna. I don't want to be the first person to swear on this podcast. So (laughs) you guys can fill in the (laughs) blank there.
1: Well, I don't know Julian Edelman. Like we said, all his accolades are in the postseason. But the postseason is where legends are made. That's where you get remembered is by performing well in the postseason. And uh I mean it's up to the Hall of Fame to decide what they value more. But I think in a league where we basically decide that any season that doesn't end in a championship is essentially a failure, uh then we have to consider the achievements of those who don't fail. Julian has 3 Super Bowl rings. Dude, that's insane. That is so like Three, many great players make it through their entire career without getting even one. And to, to have the MVP trophy proves that he was at least a contributor. Uh, if you look at his other stat lines, uh, in Super Bowls, he's always been part of the reason why they win. He's not just riding Brady's coattails. He is a reliable, his, um, in, in his three Super Bowls, he's gone nine for 109 yards and one touchdown, five for 87 yards, and 10 for 141 and, uh, zero. So he's been a contributor, uh, zero meaning zero touchdowns in this most recent MVP performance. But he's been a, like, a contributor on a team that does the whole thing
2: that you're meant to do when you
1: set off on an NFL season.
2: So- he is going to get the knock on the fact that he's – well, maybe not the fact, but people will say that he's a system guy and not – and he wouldn't have the same – and, you know, people are probably right. Yeah, he yeah. like very likely would not have the yeah. same production – Especially postseason wise, if he
1: was on other teams, yeah. But there's other guys on the team who don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. Julian Edelman finds a way at least to separate himself from his peers. And uh, I don't know. I, I sound like I'm really like, going really hard on this. I think that his regular season st- stats uh, and just how far he behind he is uh, behind some of the other guys who might uh, need some. Uh, hall of fame consideration uh just based off of stats alone probably uh makes it harder for him to get in but it's the, the i think the nfl is focuses so hard on the postseason especially the super bowl that has he played himself into a mvp or i'm sorry uh hall of fame consideration i think he has consideration i'm not gonna call him like a first
2: ballot guy and i don't think he's done either yeah he definitely deserves consideration but yeah if he were to retire now would he you get in the hall of fame no it's like if it's between him and wes welker like no like wes welker doesn't deserve to be the hall of fame but edelman definitely deserves the consideration and a lot of it of course is because of his postseason success
0: yeah consideration sure uh, is Derek fisher a hall of famer he won five titles with the Lakers. He had some good playoff experiences. Like I think Edelman is a product of the team he was on, getting to play with a legendary quarterback in Tom Brady. He had he was on a team that had tons of weapons, and he was never the number one. Yeah, he would come up with a lot of catches in some of the, the Super Bowls, but when you're talking about some of the other guys, like Rob Gronkowski, James White, 14 catches against Atlanta, uh, he, I, I just think that he's... He's been the the product of his surroundings to put up the the numbers he has, and while you can't necessarily overlook a guy who now has a Super Bowl MVP, is a three-time Super Bowl champion, he doesn't have anything in the regular season to really warrant a uh, true Hall of Fame bid, in my opinion. So... Uh, I guess uh, another – so we we do have goodbye old friend uh, is a segment that we, we've talked about. Uh, we've done that in the past when players or coaches are, are fired, released, retired. Um, so are we going to be saying goodbye old friend to Rob Gronkowski? I he think said it's – a... oh, <laughs> I was going to say. So he said that he would need it a week or two to decide. Uh, didn't want to take the Jerome Bettis approach and retire right after the Super Bowl win. Uh, but it's it's certainly been speculation uh, throughout the season.
2: I think he will retire, and I think he should retire. And whether he's doing WWE or you know starring in movies with The Rock, <laughs> whatever his plans are, I think he should start doing it because uh, this past season he was not. Really, that great outside of a couple of games, and uh, I heard rep- I read reports that some of the, one of the reasons why, or the reason why um, he really um, slowed down this year was because he was on uh, the TB12 method or the Tom Brady's training methods that he's used to have the longevity that uh, Brady has had and is able to, you know, play at a high level at you know in his early forties. Um, so. That that's one rumor that I heard, but I don't know for sure. But regardless, I, I think given that given his size and all the hits he's taken, um, I think it'd be really smart for him to retire. And he and Gronk has even talked about it during um, the media day. Like he he talked about it a lot with reporters on what it's like to take all those hits. He even um, said that like you know people outside of football like, they don't really understand the Having to take you know, you know all dozens and dozens of blows to the head or the knees or, or or the chest or or shoulders wherever, and then to take all those blows and then to come back the next day and practice and you know and do it all over again and and for you know a long period of time. So my guess is that he will, and I, my opinion, he should retire.
1: Yeah, Gronk's had an amazing career. He's uh he's at one point or for actually a few years, he was by far the most dominant tight end in football. Um, and the fact that he's gotten so many injuries is a tragedy because uh, at some point you got to start thinking about your life after football and whether or not you want to cripple yourself. Um, and this is a perfect opportunity for him to ride off into the sunset. He's won three rings and uh, he. I mean, he scored 79 touchdowns. That was nothing to sneeze at. Um, so he, I think at this point, is a perfect time to say, I've done it, the 3 Pete, and I'm out. I have time to go eat some, some freaking Tide Pods and not have to worry about drug <laughs> tests.
0: <laughs> he has nothing more to accomplish at this point. Three-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, regardless of how his stats stack up to maybe some other tight ends who have a little more longevity, he's without a doubt going to go down as one of the the top five uh, if not higher tight ends to ever play Um, just what he's accomplished and I absolutely think he should retire like you said go out as a champion there's a lot to be said about going out on top and as much as I I really don't like the Patriots um, I've always appreciated Gronk off the field and I think that he could be a hilarious actor. I know Brian mentioned going into WWE. Um I I it's just the think one time the- I've gotten
2: pumped on WWE is the one time where he just joined in and all of a sudden whoever <laughs> it was, I don't know the names of WWE guys. Whoever it was they took out, it was the one WWE moment that I can enjoy.
1: <laughs> I think we've all voiced our opinions on Gronk.
2: The one 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 more thing I I need to mention, uh, if Gronk does retire, I'm really worried. Who the heck is their replacement? Because I'm sure they'll draft somebody, but if it's Dwayne Allen, uh, I hate that idea. Guy had like three no. catches all year, and
0: they're... he's not
2: even a he's not the greatest. Like he is a good block blocking tight end, but he's not like amazing. And they're paying him six million a year just to do you know catch three passes and block. Like uh, if if that's their First option at tight end next year. I would definitely hate that. But I'm sure that's that won't be the plan.
1: I don't know his name. Yeah, the, the, but Iowa has the, another tight end coming into the draft. You want the next George Kittle?
0: <laughs> is that um Noah Fant? Maybe. I really don't I know think, his name. All so I know, I know that, is that there's a tight goal. end yeah, tight end this tight end draft class is pretty loaded. Uh almost every mock draft I've seen has a Patriots taking one in either the first or the second round. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. They're gonna They're going to get Gronk's replacement this draft. Um, All right. So let's let's kind of take away from the football side of the Super Bowl. And let's talk about the halftime show. Maroon 5, Travis Scott. uh, Who is the other guy? Big boy. boy. Okay. And Squidward. (sighs) Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> I know a lot of people didn't like this halftime show, but I think I have kind of a more nuanced opinion than just it, it wasn't good. Okay? First off, Maroon 5, a very popular band with a lot of well-known songs, and uh I don't think that they deserve the slander they got for just being the halftime show. I think a lot of people came into it with a negative opinion already cuz they're like, "Oh, Maroon 5, boo." Um uh, but they actually were bad at the beginning. Like it sounded like uh, Adam Levine wasn't even singing; he was more like speaking his lyrics. It sounded way worse than it does on the on the record. Uh, I mean, I'm not a music critic, but he wasn't singing; he was like talking. Uh, but you know, whatever. He's got a long performance ahead of him. Maybe he was saving his voice. All right, now let's get to the the main thing I have a gripe with is the SpongeBob reference. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, you know, the, the death of Steven Hillenberg, uh, rest in peace, wanted to see the the like the Bikini Bottom Band perform at the Super Bowl. That would have made so many people's childhood dreams come true to see that. Um, But I can also understand not ceding such a valuable, uh, you know, show showtime to a kids cartoon that already has plenty of fame. SpongeBob doesn't need the support of the NFL to continue to be a worldwide brand, right? So it'd be like giving, like having people eat McDonald's during the Super Bowl halftime show because Ronald McDonald died or something. It's like, sure, (laughs) a lot of people will be into this, but it's like, this is a really valuable time that everyone's going to watch. So maybe it's not worth giving that away. I can understand the business decision there. Um, But what we got was, seems, Like a shoehorn Spongebob reference so that they could check the box and be like, we did it. We did the Spongebob reference. But it was totally out of character. It didn't feel like Spongebob or Squidward. It felt like some the corporate minds behind the Super Bowl halftime show were like, I guess we have to do this because the internet said so. So we'll have Squidward say now, he doesn't even say his name. He just says, now, a artist who needs no introduction, which Squidward would not be into Travis Scott's music. I'm sorry. That goes against everything. You don't think he'd be into Travis
2: Scott Scott with his clarinet that he sleeps with?
1: Yes, he definitely would not be into uh, Travis Scott with his clarinet. Squidward obviously loves classical music. Travis Scott is anything but classical. Uh, So that didn't make any sense. Then he looks over at Spongebob, and of course they have the Spongebob, like, dancing back in, like, he's, like, t- going on either, either foot, kind of pumping his fist e- in front of him. Yeah, that's his
2: eager face. Yeah. That's his
1: eager face. That's a GIF, okay? So obviously the, whoever organized this was, like, g- hashtag Spongebob on the GIF generator in Twitter, and they saw that. They're like, oh, that's what Spongebob is. Better put that in, okay? This whole, like, reference screamed, like, you know hello uh how how do you do fellow kids that's how i felt watching this it was they they actually would have done been better off not including this in my opinion having people been like what could have been instead of the monstrosity that we got which was just like a halfsy that wasn't even done right um also, didn't include the song, and that's the whole, that's the best song. Sweet Victory is the perfect song to play at a Super Bowl halftime. So, or, or any any sports event halftime. It's about victory, about winning. Um, and, and to completely exclude that, I think, is uh, a big miss opportunity. And to include what they did is egregious. So, I'm going to try to get past it, but it really, it did deeply offend me. Um. I want to they let you guys to, comment. Sorry, I'm going they, on they
2: need They need to get some sort of, like, ACDC, KISS, whatever. They need to get some sort of band that can do the Sweet Victory next year or something. Yeah, well, know, but,
1: next year is too late, dude. Like, they, they um, missed their I don't know. They had it, and they <laughs> missed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe they could do, like, a redemption thing and be like, hey, Atlanta really screwed it up last year, so we're <laughs> going to do, su- like, su- sweet victory here. But honestly, I think that this was the chance. Okay, c- just not to get hung up on that. Travis Scott coming in, that was, like, a cool effect. But, um, I mean, do you guys listen to Travis Scott? No. Corey?
0: I do a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so I I think mode is a fun song. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't call myself a huge Travis Scott fan, but I, I do have, like, songs like goosebumps uh those that i, I do have regularly listened to in in recent times so anyways i i listen to travis scott a good
1: bit i like his music uh but i came to this re- same realization when i went to austin city limits early, earlier this year he's not that good live Travis Scott's voice is very computer processed when he makes his music and it's what makes it part of why it's so good. He has these really uh, unique sounds that he makes like uh, it's kind of like Kanye West level of production quality. It's really nice. It's I respect him as an artist, but he's just not as good live and he wasn't that good at the Super Bowl. Sicko mode didn't sound like sicko mode. I mean, obviously you could tell it was the same song, but it was like uh, it was Travis Scott like trying to belt out his part and um, and it just doesn't sound the same. So, again, it was another example of, like, not sounding as good as the record. Um, and sicko Mode is, like, good because of the production quality. It's because it gets you hype, not because it's necessarily saying things that are, like, super deep. Dude, li- look up the lyrics to sicko Mode. It's actually really deep. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying. So, I, Travis Scott, coming like, already had a bad taste in my mouth because of the bad SpongeBob reference. And then having him come in and not be that good live wasn't that great. Big Boy shows up. And while I'm not a huge big boy fan, I know that Atlanta is a musical, like, it's a very musical city. They, um, rep their own artists really hard. They, um, they really rep the city really hard. So I thought it was appropriate that they had big boy show up and do his thing for the city of Atlanta. That's good. And then after that, I think Maroon 5 finished the show stronger than they started. Adam Levine was actually singing, which is why he's a star that we're not a fan of him specifically because of his tattoos. It's because he's a good singer. Um, and also the drones were cool too in the background. Uh, so I think it ended stronger than it started, but overall a pretty disappointing halftime show.
2: So yeah, to give my thoughts, I'm not going to talk about the SpongeBob stuff because, uh, Ben explained everything perfectly there. So for Maroon five, yeah. <laughs> um, like you said the beginning, uh, he was basically just talking he wasn't even singing and I'm glad that uh maroon 5 played she will be love that's definitely my favorite maroon 5 song but it was it was a little bit be- like it got like you said it got stronger towards the end but it wasn't it really wasn't that great and they didn't play uh they didn't play one more night and didn't play animals um it's in my opinion along with the spongebob uh you know catastrophe uh it's up there as one of the worst Super Bowl halftime shows, in my opinion. Up there with, I would say tied with the worst with Black Eyed Peas, but with this including the SpongeBob uh, stuff, it makes it, in my opinion, the worst one ever. And I think your halftime show sucks when the biggest star is a cart of the show is a cartoon, and people talk about your nipples more than the music itself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I I hated it. So
0: I I, I love Maroon Five specifically songs about gene their first album um harder to breathe that was the first song i know you guys weren't a fan of the performance itself but i i was enjoying those songs i was glad that we got more of the older maroon 5 and some of the newer ones um and so i guess just in my opinion harder to breathe is the most underrated maroon 5 song of all time i, think I agree you, with that you look Yeah. look back at that album yeah everyone always wants to point to like this love sunday morning she will be loved harder to breathe always kind of slips under the crack but i think that's that's a great song actually ben I, and i were I would, having that conversation I probably, and
2: i would probably bring she will be loved and sunday morning ahead of it but yeah harder to breathe is definitely the most underrated especially in that album yes
0: yeah, so it it played when Ben and I were at uh, Margaritaville in Las Vegas, and I made that comment. And then I walked outside, and uh, there was some bar on the street. There was a, a live band playing the song like fifteen minutes later. So <laughs> I thought that was that was kind of funny. <laughs> that cool. uh, so I, I I was I was very pleased with them doing that. I I had told Brian that I thought the first song was going to be one more night, kind of. Go at the I, I would have Yeah, <laughs> I would have <laughs> would have guessed the same thing too though. Uh that just felt like a good like concert opener. Uh, right, I've never no. seen Maroon yeah. Five live though, so I, I don't know what they normally do.
2: That that would have been my first guess for an opener as well.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily hate the halftime show in the sense that I, I enjoy Maroon Five, I enjoy Travis Scott. And yeah, like I like performers I, I, I that like, I just I, I'm not a fan of.
2: Yeah, I like some of Maroon Five's music and but I'm just saying the the halftime show was just a tragedy.
0: <laughs> like, and and it then, wasn't exciting. Com-
2: no, it wasn't at all. And I mean, the past few ones that the Super Bowl has had, like I thought they're all you know just pretty good or okay. You know, Timberlake and Lady Gaga, Coldplay, Katy Perry, and so on. Like all of them have been just pretty good or decent. But this one is—I don't think I'm gonna ever gonna hate a halftime show more than that.
0: <laughs> That, that's fair. I, I do think that the SpongeBob thing was a huge tease and a major letdown. I I do understand Ben's point. Like it would have been weird having them waste in a minute and a half of the halftime show to do a song that really only appeals to people who are like twenty five and under. But uh, that that would have been cool and seemingly the best time to do it because of the the creator's death.
1: Again, again, it's not. I think the song would work well even if Maroon 5 performed it, I think that they could have elevated their own status among like the SpongeBob crowd if they did. Um, I understand that I understand not doing it, also, but doing this. Just don't, do, in the yeah. Middle, just
2: don't pretend that you're gonna do it, and all of a sudden it's Travis Scott that shows up and not actually playing Sweet Victory. Right, and
1: also, if you're gonna use SpongeBob characters, make them act like actual SpongeBob characters. I'm sorry, I, I'm horrified to see Squidward pretend to be a, uh, a freaking Travis Scott fan. And also, he he also points at SpongeBob, and then he's like, you know, like getting mad like Squidward does, except. The the reason that episode is so special, Band Geese is so special, is because it's the one time everything goes right for Squidward. The whole episode looks like it's going to be a terrible, terrible performance. Everything is going wrong. And in the end, the twist is that it goes perfect. And Squidward, for once, gets his sweet victory. The whole song is, is basically about Squidward in that, in that moment.
2: Yeah, even his high school rival, Squilliam, like, he has a he, heart he, he attack. He finally one time in his life was on top.
1: Yes, yeah, William has a heart <laughs> attack. He, a, like, he, had, he like
2: fainted and he yeah. had to leave.
1: <laughs> so and Squidward is just loving it. So yeah, I think that they butchered that. So they botched it. They did so bad on it, and uh, and you can't that cannot be overstated. But I think we've said enough about it. So I'm I'm ready to move on.
0: All right, and uh, moving on, we will. And when we say that, we mean literally moving on to next season. Uh, so starting off the off season, what are some of our predictions in terms of free agency, trades, uh, anything big that you guys want to point out? I guess let, let's start off with uh, the the seemingly biggest free agent um, who we are expecting to be on the market, and that is Le'Veon Bell.
2: Oh, that's a tough one. I mean... Uh... I think he's not in Pittsburgh. If, if that's a bold prediction at all next year, I didn't think so. Yeah, <laughs> um, no. I mean, teams like maybe I would have said Green Bay, but you know, Aaron Jones really stepped up in the second half, so maybe they won't even need uh, a running back like that if Aaron Jones is you know be- going to become a, a a three down back. Uh, I know there are rumors about the Jets being a possibility. You know, giving more help for Darnold. Um, since he really has no one but Robbie Anderson or uh, Quincy Anunua like for him as his go-to targets so I I guess teams like that maybe uh also what about Houston? I know they have Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins but I mean Lamar Miller is not exactly the best you know w- and could consider one of the elite running backs in the league. Um, so I guess those are the three teams that pop in my head for yeah I, possibilities. I-
1: I always think this is tough because I do such a bad job of tracking NFL cap space and whoever gets Le'Veon is going to need to have the money for him. Um, I think the jets are basically in good territory. If the Texans have the money, then I think that would be a brilliant pairing because you've got basically all the other parts there. Well, minus a decent O-line.
2: Another Uh, team that I'd like to bring up that I think could really, really work out. Um, the Indianapolis Colts, um, you know, with Andrew Luck running the show there, he only has one. Act- well, actually, Eric, Eric Ebron stepped up this year, so he has two great targets in him and Tianway Hilton. But after that, it's like Chester Rogers and Dontrell Inman, and like they and you know, Marlon Mack had had some you know pretty good games this year. But I mean, I wouldn't love him as the starter, starting running back again. So if they can put Levy on in that offense with with Luck, Hilton, and Ebron. Uh I think that offense can uh you know advance maybe possibly even deeper into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, so I And I and think no, people... oh and
2: no, another thing to bring up, sorry. Uh they have the most cap space out of all the teams oh. in the NFL as well entering free agency. So they would ha- they would actually have the money to spend for, uh for a guy like Le'Veon as well.
0: I I do think the Colts and the Texans are two teams to watch out for. Uh, my personal prediction is that he's end up on the Jets because I think they're gonna be willing to um give him the the most money. But I I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see if owners are going to try to make an example out of Bell. Um, and what he did sitting out and not give him that kind of money. But when you're talking to a player of his caliber, I, I just don't see that happening because someone's going to want to uh, make that bold move, go out and get this uh, one of, if not the best running backs in the league. Uh, I do think he needs to go somewhere with a solid offensive line. So I don't know if Houston is that place, uh, but it would make I do think he could be a star with the Colts. And the Jets, uh, that would just be he's he wants the most money and that's all he cares about so nick Foles, super bowl mvp guided the eagles to an improbable playoff berth and victory who will he be quarterbacking in 2019
1: uh well well, hold uh, on before uh, we predict that so what's his current situation didn't he just decline uh the option or something yeah he declined he avoided the option right okay so what does that mean because i heard he was offered 20 million dollars and turned it down is that true
0: he had a 20 million dollar option and he bought himself out so the expectation is that the eagles are going to put the franchise tag on him and attempt to trade him But he is technically going to be a free agent, so the Eagles would need to put the franchise tag in order to retain his rights.
1: So, I guess, why wouldn't he... Does he expect to get more money on the open market? Like a longer-term deal, I guess?
0: Well, I think that he would be able to... He would sign an extension wherever he gets traded to, even with the franchise tag. But yeah, I mean, I think that's part of his his plan is he doesn't want just that one-year deal. He wants a long-term commitment.
2: I think one place that could work um, is Miami because Ryan Tannehill is no longer going to be the quarterback there anymore. He's going to be released um, once, once they can release him. Um and they have a new coach and Brian Flores there. I know he's more of a defensive guy, but like new coach and no quarterback and you know, there's a, fr- there's a free spot for him there. So uh, it's, and it's out of the division. So I guess that's one possibility.
0: So I think Miami is content on a rebuild. Uh, they do make sense in terms of having an opening, but I think that it's more likely he would go to a different Florida team, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they're a team that they're coming off a bad 5-11 and season. but They were in the AFC Championship game two years ago. We know they have a lot of talent on defense. They have a, a potential start running back in Leonard Fournette. Um, so I,
1: I-, I, I like the Jaguars as a landing spot for Foles.
0: Yeah, I, my prediction would be Jacksonville for him. Um, I I don't know.
2: That was the other team I was going to bring yeah. up. It, I
0: think the Giants if, uh, would be if Bortles a, is interesting... not going to be the guy anymore. No, no, he's long gone. The Giants would be an interesting fit, but I think that the Eagles are going to franchise Sag him, so he doesn't end up with the Giants <laughs> or maybe the. <laughs> I, I was
2: I was going to say the Giants, but I'm like, well, they're not going to just send him to the you know same division team where they can face him twice a year. So I don't think they want to do that.
0: No, the Detroit uh Tony McNabb to Washington but that was a uh, different organization different coach so All right so next Antonio Brown uh currently has some some legal troubles going on right now I don't know how that's going to affect him but uh he is there is a a police report he is somewhat being investigated for a domestic dispute um but there is a a thought that the Steelers are likely to trade him So do we think that'll happen and where do we expect him to end up if it does?
2: I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say he, I'm going to say yes. And I think he goes to Ben's team. I'm going to say he goes to the Niners.
1: Okay. And it all depends. I think the Niners are the obvious landing spot for Antonio Brown. Pending this most recent development, Uh, the 49ers have shown a like no tolerance policy for domestic violence Although what it sounds like happened today was what what I heard, at least the last I heard, was that some woman showed up at Antonio Brown's house and he was trying to make her leave, but she wouldn't. And he pushed her and she fell down. Um, stands, sounds to me like Antonio Brown is like a stand your ground type guy and he's just defending his territory. And uh, maybe this will get like blow over and it won't be domestic violence. But if he gets in any sort of trouble, domestic violence-wise, if this ends up being a whole thing, I think the Niners will turn and go. Antonio Brown isn't as young as he used to be. The 49ers might still be at least a year away, um, and paying him top dollar is not going to happen if he's a liability, which sucks, dude. Antonio Brown's amazing his whole career, and then he's in within arm's reach of the Niners. It's like, oh, sorry, I'm going to become a domestic abuser now. Whoops. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> How does this keep happening to us? Like See, Alden Smith, freaking. So I was Reuben just, Foster. I was
2: just about to say. So the foreigners have no tolerance, verse you know, against guys with domestic violence issues. So you know, guys like Alden Smith, you know, at airports with you know that was a, that was a bomb at airports and yeah, and and, uh, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> and, and Ruben Foster, <laughs> like whatever. You know, they've had numerous guys we've done at, much well, that, worse stuff
1: well that's the thing at this point the 49ers can't afford to waste any more time on these kind of guys like if Antonio Brown's doing this before he even shows up who knows what would happen when he'd show up into like the land that turns people into domestic abusers i don't know like uh, as far as a, as a, from a 49ers fan perspective i don't want somebody who we're going to pay top dollar for who's going to get suspended um and then not help us we have a lot we have some good things going for us and the last thing we need is an expensive problem so it all depends on how this comes out ruben foster should still be a 49er uh the redskins are going to play him to, you know the the league will probably still suspend him but from a um a actual legal standpoint ruben foster did nothing wrong so the niners cut him based on like perceived slights as opposed to something he actually did wrong and we lost out on a first rounder who's also a really good player and he's injury prone but I think there's more positives than negatives when it comes to Ruben foster and football. Um, So if this thing blows over, I, yes, I agree. Antonio Brown to the Niners.
0: So as a Steelers fan, um, I, I don't want them to lose both bell and Brown because I know that's going to hurt their offense. But if he does get traded, I personally want him to go to Oakland and in exchange, they get one of the Raiders three first round picks um, And I know if he were to go to San Francisco, it wouldn't be anything higher than the second, which is a a high second or like the thirty fifth pick or so. Um, But i I think from that perspective, if there's a possibility to get a first rounder for him, I would I would much rather seeley's do that. I don't know how this domestic dispute thing is going to play into that, though.
2: I just think it'd be odd for the Raiders to get him if they trade Amari Cooper. For a first round pick, and then all of a sudden they trade a first round pick for Antonio Brown. Like, why don't you
0: just keep Amari Cooper instead? God, who knows, John Gruden. I'm not saying men. I'm not saying Amari Cooper's better than
2: Antonio Brown. I'm just saying that, like, what, like, what's the plan here? Well, like, you're right.
1: With... Has has there been talk of the Raiders trying to trade for Antonio Brown? Because that seems really against the whole long term strategy from John Gruden.
0: I know that there has been some kind of potential uh, for them to be a landing spot. I don't know if the organization itself has come out and made any moves. Um, but they, it, to me, it, I, I do agree that it, it doesn't necessarily seem to fit that kind of timeline. But the Raiders have kind of been all over the place. And he would still be under contract for three years. I know that they're trying to be good when they're in Vegas in 2020. So I do think it's it would be not totally insane for them to make that move. Um, and Green Bay is another team that has two first-round picks. They have the Saints' 30, 30th overall pick, so uh, that that is another situation. And I, I would think that that would be a, a great fit for AB getting to play with Aaron Rodgers, uh, especially at this age in his career. But
2: Yeah, he would have Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback, and then he'd be playing alongside Devontae Adams um, as the other top receiver. And then if there are any domestic violence issues with Antonio Brown. I don't think he would be violent in a place like green Bay where it's just all about football and cheese. So
1: there's not, yeah, there's no way um, <laughs> that, that town, if he punched somebody, they'd punch him back. <laughs> 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 They're tough. In, up in Wisconsin. <laughs> all
0: right, I know we'll, we'll be talking about NFL free agency again in future podcasts, but Let's go ahead and give our way too early Super Bowl predictions for next year in Miami. So, I can start us off. Um, I I the Chiefs came so close this year. I think next year, uh, after the the phenomenal season that Patrick Mahomes had, uh, they're finally going to break through, and this will be, yeah, they'll they'll end up winning it. On the NFC side, I think it's kind of easy to go and point to, like, the Saints. Um, But after their past two years of heartbreak, I don't know if that third time is a charm or if they're never going to be able to recover from those. Um, I I think if I had to give some sleeper picks, part of me wants to go with the Vikings, but they let me down this past year when I said that they would win the Super Bowl, didn't make the playoffs. And another team that I'm kind of looking toward... The Dallas Cowboys they went seven and two after acquiring Amari Cooper uh, I think that given a full season the expectation is that the Eagles are going to be good again but Carson Wentz uh, we still don't know what we're gonna see from him with a, a full season post torn ACL the Redskins I don't know who their quarterback's going to be same with the Giants so I think the Cowboys uh I like them to repeat as NFC's champs and be in an better um, potential Super Bowl pick. I don't want to pick them and be held to them all year, but I will throw them out there now. And if it happens, we can look back on this.
1: Yeah, my uh, my predictions are simple. I think the Colts are going to take uh, a huge step forward after taking a, a massive step Uh, forward this year and they are going to represent the AFC against the Jimmy Garoppolo led 49ers um, who are going to have a similar resurgence next season and uh, obviously the Niners will win
2: (laughs) I feel like it'd be really really stupid of me to just not pick the Patriots after (laughs) all the crap that's happened this year and they still win yep um I mean, it is just a super early prediction, so I can always just change my mind. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say the Chiefs make the Super Bowl in the AFC. Like you said, Corey patrick Mahomes is uh, taking over the league. And I think super early prediction, I'll say he wins MVP again. I don't think it's a bold prediction, but uh, I don't see anyone else, as of now, of course, that can dethrone him uh, as the MVP of the league. Um, so I'll have the Chiefs in the AFC, and then in the NFC, I'm gonna, I'll go Chiefs Saints. I'll say I'll say Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and Saints have like another heartbreaking <laughs> loss. Where first year it's in the divisional round versus you know Minnesota in the last ten seconds, and then I'll, of course they had the heartbreak um, with the penalty or no call and. Uh, I'm going to say they lose on another heartbreaking, you know, blown call or blown play (laughs) by a long, like, Tyreek touchdown with 10 seconds left.
1: (laughs) Worst take I saw on Super Bowl Sunday was somebody tweeted, um, Drew Brees is just Trent Dilfer with more garbage time yards.
2: (laughs) Well, in terms of the garbage time, I mean... The, the fact that he plays in the Superdome and historically he's had a horrible defense. Um, he does rack up the garbage time yards. Yes, uh, but, but he's not like, Trent Dilfer. He's not Trent. No, that's, that's what people say though. Cause he's got the same amount
1: of rings and the same amount of MVPs. That was his other argument.
2: <laughs> Wait, MV. Oh, oh, <laughs> right. Zero.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause Drew Brees is criminally, uh, gone without the MVP. Um, But anyway, sorry that I'm getting us off track. Let's keep this moving.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, So let's wrap things up uh, by moving on to our top five. And as you said, it is all through Super Bowl. So we will continue uh, our Super Bowl talk and we will count down our favorite commercials from Super Bowl 53 in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So I'll go ahead and lead us off on this one. Uh, at number five, I have the Stella Artois commercial, also known as Stella Artos, as Jeff Bridges pronounced it. Uh, I, I think I was kind of interesting how they were like advertising their beer by having sarah jessica parker and jeff bridges order them and everyone in the bar just starts freaking out breaking glasses they don't know what to do because they're not used to people ordering a stellar artois um but i i I also thought it was interesting that the the most interesting man in the world as he used to be um for dos was in the commercial and he said oh that's an interesting choice when jeff bridges ordered the stellar artois um, for those of you who have seen my Survivor videos, you'll know that Dos Equis was one of our main corporate sponsors, so we had a lot of Most Interesting Man in the World commercials, so I, I kind of felt like the uh, the Can You Hear Me Now guy going from Verizon to Sprint seeing him in the Stella commercial, so I'm curious to see if we'll see him going forward. At number four, I have the Verizon Wireless commercial with Anthony Lynn thanking first responders, saying that they're the reason why he's still here. Um, as disappointed as I am that Anthony Lynn had, had such a horrible coaching game plan against Patriots in the playoffs, um, I do think he is a one of the better coaches in the league, and I thought that was a really cool commercial to kind of honor our, our first responders. And as a Verizon Wireless user, I, I appreciate that they were the ones who uh, had that advertisement. At number three, I have the, so specifically the Bud Light ingredients label commercial, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about the Bud Light Game of Thrones crossover, but as someone who's not a Game of Thrones fan, I don't appreciate it as much as uh, others, but I, I did really enjoy the, uh, the ingredients label one because I, I love Bud Light more than Miller Light and Coors Light, so seeing that they don't use corn syrup, I was like, oh, all right, so uh, pretty interested to see what will be on that ingredients label when it comes out. At number two, I have the Microsoft Xbox Adaptive Controller commercial. So this is one that I remember. It's watching it during the Super Bowl, but I don't remember fully. Like I don't, I don't know if I was fully paying attention to it, but I, I watched it back, and I was getting a little choked up watching this one. Um, so basically, there Microsoft has this adaptive controller that allows kids who have had. Uh, amputations and they don't have all their extremities still be able to play video games and it was just great seeing uh, how happy they are Um, so that that's one for me is just like a feel good and all the the funny ones it's always nice to see commercials like that at the super bowl and then number one the nfl 100 years as a football fan how can you not love that Uh, my favorite moment was the, the franco harris immaculate reception. Uh but you know right from the very beginning like so single Terry cool. yelling out fumble like you just knew that it was going to be crazy. Uh so that, that's a lot of fun. So
2: I'll go next. Uh so for my number 5, I went with the Frozen Foods uh commercial. Um I even though I don't have it as number 1, that was probably the funniest Super Bowl ad. Um I love that they combined the Boyfriend girlfriend you know intimacy inti- intimacy issues with frozen food porn. Um, I found that pretty hy- hysterical, and I love also that the fact that the girlfriend in the commercial use tactics by um, you know making home you know homemade meals and the, watching the amateur food porn commercials with her boyfriend in the bedroom and you know just combining the frozen foods with like you know. The Sexual stuff, uh, I definitely found it as really well funny. done, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and then so for my number four, I went with the Hyundai elevator. Um, that commercial starred Jason Bateman. Shout out to him in Dodgeball again. <laughs> um, and so in that commercial, <laughs> um, each floor had a so he so it starred Jason Bateman as the elevator operator. And there were a bunch of people in the elevator course, and each floor like had a specific non ideal thing you know that's dealt in our lives, and some of them included you know like puberty or jury duty and the couple that was starring in the commercial was car shopping, and Jason Bateman led them to the Hyundai uh floor where it was painless and quick um so i I liked that ad. Uh, a lot. So I've had that one as my number 4 and my number 3 I went with uh the Olay lotion uh that commercials, uh featured Sarah Jessica Parker and she was watching, you know, a scary movie on the couch with her ser- significant other and then all of a sudden the lights went out and a guy uh a masked man, you know, broke into the house and then so Sarah Jessica uh not Sarah Jessica Parker, Sarah Michelle Geller is what I meant to say. Um You know, her and her significant other went into the bedroom and they decided to call for help. But because the face recognition didn't recognize it was her because um, the face recognized uh, her face, what it was before she used the Olay. And, you know, to show off how great her, you know, features were afterwards after using the Olay. And then in the commercial, the guy breaking into the house broke into the room and then he noticed it as well like oh yeah you should be in movies uh so i definitely enjoyed that one as well and then so for my number two was core's number one i went with the nfl 100 uh, that was arguably the most <laughs> the two most exciting minutes of football in the entire oh, game <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's kind of a shot no uh but yeah uh it's obviously kicking off A formal party kicking off the 100th season of the NFL. And at the formal party, of course, it showed all the current NFL stars and the Hall of Famers. And they picked the perfect guy, Marshawn Lynch, to be the one next to the cake and then reaching over to just get one lick of the cake. And then all of a sudden the football falls down. And instead of just enjoying, you know, the formal party and just watching Roger Goodell going on with his speech. Everyone goes for the football course. And then, like you said, Corey, I enjoyed um, like the Franco Harris catch at the legs. And then, you know, Pat Mahomes, uh, the no look pass and the Odell one hander. So it even showed off all the players skills and moments in the commercial as well. And even and of course, shout out to Brady with the five rings and then just dropping it in Baker- <laughs> Mayfield's hands. I, I like that as well. Uh, And then for my number one, I went with the Alexa and I'm sure everyone knows who she is. She's the, you know, the robot that's in everyone's kitchen that the CIA is spying on all of us. (laughs) But what I liked about the commercial was uh, they talked about how not everything made the cut in terms of uh, what Alexa's purposes are and included Harrison Ford with his dog Um, buying everything by just barking with his dog collar and then they even had the space station you know shutting off all the power on and off constantly throughout the throughout the planet and the hot tub um slash music player that shot all the people out of the pool i loved and then my favorite one was the the forrest whitaker toothbrush where he was like, "Alexa, play podcast." And then, when <laughs> using the toothbrush, and then puts the toothbrush in his mouth, and he can't even hear what the podcast is. So yeah, if you guys ever want to listen to, he's done it with your toothbrush. You can go get one at your local toothbrush yes. store. And then, if you don't want to hear my awful opinion, you could just put put the toothbrush in your mouth when I'm speaking. <laughs> it's uh,
1: yeah, you could tell they had that Jeff Bezos money when they're making that commercial. So many stars, really.
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So I went with Alexa's my Nice. All right, so it's on to my top five, and I'll be honest. I actually had to do some research to have a top five because the people I was watching this game with are all really big sports fans, and we got on so many sports tangents, like talking about like even other sports other than football during the commercials so um, a lot of the commercials played kind of quietly in the background while we were talking and we would like raise it back up for the game. I know that the Super Bowl is supposed to be about watching the ads or whatever, but um, we were having some really good conversations. So I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. But I did see some of the commercials and I researched a lot of them. So I'm going to give you my top five. Number five, I did watch this one live and I was like confused as to why this commercial existed. But the hashtag eat like Andy Burger King commercial. Do you guys remember seeing this one? I do remember. So apparently, course. this is a scene from a Andy Warhol uh, like art project. He did. He made like a video, and and this they recontextualized it to be a Burger King ad. He originally was just doing it as like an ex- like some way to express like American culture. Like I don't really know that much about Andy Warhol, really, but this commercial made me go look him up and it stuck with me and that's effective marketing right there. In a world where everyone is going to the extreme, like do you remember that commercial with the, it was with Bo Jackson he's holding a mermaid who's playing the tar and there was like a a horse with wings. I don't even remember what it was. was, I think it was Sprint commercial. But I was like, okay, there's no creativity there. They're like, look how random we're being right? And that's not, that's not an effective way to advertise anymore. I think that there was an era of like, who's the most random in the Super Bowl? But I think that's past. We're tired of that. This is a, I think, a creative departure from that to recontextualize something that was made in the '60s, without editing it, making it into a Burger King ad, which I think was pretty cool. Uh, moving forward, number four was the Chance the Rapper Doritos commercial with the Backstreet Boys, and uh, I love Chance the Rapper. I love the Backstreet Boys, and this was a good pairing. And I like Doritos too. And like Chance the Rapper wrote some original like lyrics for this commercial, and they're hot. Just like the spicy hot Doritos he's advertising for. So I thought that that went over really well. Okay, I need you guys to uh, hear me on this next one because um, the Michelob Ultra commercial. Do you guys know what ASMR is? No. no. Brian doesn't, Corey? No. no. Do you guys don't know at all? Uh. Okay, so, but do you remember that commercial where the uh, Michelob bottle, she was like, like the rim of it. She was like rubbing it against the table and then she like clicked her fingers on the side of the bottle. Do you remember what the, the, uh, what that is?
0: Do you remember seeing that? Yeah, I, rem- I remember the commercial. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, because I... You remember the commercial? Okay, because I bet it's probably pretty for, uh, forgettable if you're not an ASMR fan. Um I guess, I don't want to... G- I don't even know what it stands for, ASMR, but basically ASMR is like this type of video where um, people do like satisfying like sounds and uh, like hand movements and speech patterns. Like a lot of it is done whispering. So a lot of ASMR videos are just people whispering into their microphone and they get really high quality microphones to do this whispering. And basically what it does is it's a, ASMR stands for like automatic sensory meridian response I think. I'm not sure that it's something like that. But anyways, it's like a tingling sensation that happens in the back of your head. I know it sounds fake, and to people that don't experience it, it might as well be fake. But for people who experience it, it's very real. And this is something that I discovered in myself when I was young. Like I started getting into like I was watching Bob Ross paint. You guys know who Bob yeah, Ross is. And I was watching him paint on on pbs and i would get like this weird tingle in my head listening to him talk and watching him paint and i was like this is I, I was like okay obviously i'm a weird person this is very weird that I like i get this like tingling sensation here i will tell no one about this and i didn't for years even though i really enjoyed it and then eventually i discovered like youtube asmr people were making videos specifically for this reason and i was like oh okay good i'm not alone but it was still something weird to bring up um, and it, like to tell people about. But the fact that we have a Michelob Ultra Super Bowl ad that is specifically targeted towards ASMR, like people, we've made it, baby. I feel fully heard. I, I feel seen uh, with my ASMR identity. So um, I thought the commercial itself, I think, is kind of pandering to ASMR people, honestly. And uh, I don't, it wasn't even that good of ASMR, but. The fact that it's so public to be even in a Super Bowl commercial, I think is uh, we've come a long way from being a secret ASMR enjoyer to Super Bowl ads. So uh, shout out to all my ASMR fans. Hey, if you enjoy ASMR, tweet at uh, He's Done It Pod and let us know because we're out here and we see you, baby. Okay, moving forward. Number two, Bud Light Medieval Ads. They did a few, um, and I think they're all solid. I think Bud Light stands head and shoulders above the other – like, cheap beers, um, and they and they were, like, destroying those cheap beers, especially with the um, delivering the corn syrup commercial. Like, Bud Light... I mean, I, I, I think Bud Light started this because they knew they'd win it, but there's been a long time where beer co- companies basically were like, we are not going to tell people what's in this beer because they're going to stop drinking it. Beer is really not good for you. But now that people are getting, con- like, health conscious, like, more and more health conscious, Bud Light is like, well... We've got the least ingredients, so let's really focus on that and use this as a weapon against, because people aren't going to stop drinking beer. I think we've proven that at this point. So they're going to use their short ingredients list to destroy their competition, and I think it's working. On top of that, they're great. They had the corn syrup one, the bowl cut one, <laughs> and uh, where they're like giving everybody the fryer cut. Did you guys see that one? The Where it's bald on the top, and then it's a bowl cut around. That was a good one. And then also the freaking Game of Thrones one, which was like the main one.
2: Um, my my favorite Bud Light commercial ever was when they used to do the, uh, not too heavy, not too light, and they had, um, they show this one where this guy was in like a paintball tournament. And it showed him shooting, like, gumballs at the guy. And that was like, that's too light. <laughs> and then for the too heavy, it showed the guy, like, oh, sh- bravo, Charlie, this is Echo Delta. You have permission to fire. And it just drops this, the the, the Air Force just drops this giant paintball right on the dude. It's <laughs> <laughs> for too heavy. I always love the not too heavy, not too light ones when Bud Light used to they're do They're good, coaches. and they're one of the,
1: like, they're consistent with their quality. Um, it was nice to see new ads from Bud Light medieval, like, world because i got really tired of the ones they played during the regular season um but yeah i thought they did really well and then um obviously my number one ad is the nfl 100 years that was amazing um and my I, we've already harped on that so I, I agree with everything you guys have said my favorite part was joe montana denying michael irving the pass uh and saying not not today cowboy and throwing it at Jerry Rice, <laughs> although very unrealistically, he was picked off um, by, by Deion, Deion Sanders, Sanders, his own team. Well, his is not teammate because Deion joined the Niners later, but former or our fellow former 49er Deion Sanders. So uh, but we've said enough about that. I also think it's a great ad. Oh, yeah. actually, no, there's one more thing I have to say is um, <laughs> at the end of the commercial, I was actually a little bit um, I was like, oh, here they come with like the women can play football too thing by handing the football to like unidentified girl at the end because it's like oh look girls and football too but then i did some research and found out that it's not just
0: some girl do you guys know who it is no i was wondering that no no it's
1: sam gordon do you guys remember sam gordon the little girl who just would dominate like the boys in Pee Wee football she was like a running back
0: oh they were like highlights of her
1: when she was younger
0: yeah i do remember. and
1: apparently there's a whole there's a whole thing with her and her dad like starting up all girls football leagues like youth football leagues which i think is really cool as far as like diversity goes and including people in it but i think they can't like it's just unfortunate that we're in an era that the nfl i think is in decline with like especially not wanting your kids to play because of like brain damage (laughs) but i still think that It's cool that they included her because Sam Gordon, I think is well known enough in the league that they're like, you know, you get to be here with these legends. So yeah, that's why, well, that's not the reason it's my number one, but that wraps up my number one, the NFL 100 commercial, which we all loved.
0: All right. So I think that wraps things up for our Super Bowl 53 special. Do you guys have anything you want to leave us with?
1: Niners on the rise in 2019, baby.
0: Pats for seven. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone.